my wife, um, Nancy, she is also a graduate of Dallas Seminary, and for her final project, in order to receive her Master's of Arts in Cross-Cultural Ministry, she had to do a research project in a cross-cultural setting. So my wife, being the adventurous type, said, let's go to Tunisia and um, do a research project there. So we spent the whole summer of her final year there in seminary driving the country, doing a massive research project, accumulating data from different uh, tour guide companies and uh, different government officials in the tourist industry, all for the purpose to create uh, what might be a business for cross-cultural workers to follow in our footsteps and implement some sort of tourism industry uh, run by Christians. So it was a wonderful summer, but there was one thing uh, that struck me as we were interviewing one of these tour guide uh, professionals, a wonderful gentleman, very articulate, very knowledgeable. As we're interviewing him, he said, Americans don't like ambiguity. And it's true. We like clear direction. Now, surprise, that's not true for all cultures, but that is certainly true for our culture. We have a hard time just going with the flow. Uh, going with the flow can feel aimless to us. It can feel like we're helpless or out of control. Uh, there's all kinds of negative feelings for us as Americans that corresponds with lack of clear direction. So our friend, the uh, man who ran this tour guide company said, so for Americans, I always have lots of detailed maps. I, I help them understand exactly what we'll be doing throughout the day. We go through all the possible contingency plans, all the dangers, um, all the wonderful sights that we'll see along the way. And especially, oh, especially, I make sure they know exactly what time we will be having lunch <laughs> and what's on the menu as well. So I, I find that to be true in my own life as well, that in my walk with God, I struggle when there's ambiguity, where it seems like there's just not much clear direction how to move forward. If you joined us last week, uh, I preached at the sunrise service there at the pond, and we were in John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, we covered the first part of that chapter where it was the morning of the resurrection. And we learned that because Jesus is risen from the grave, we can trust he is who he says he is and that he accomplished what he set out to accomplish. Uh, this morning, we are going to return to John chapter 20, but this time in the evening of that very same resurrection day. And in doing so, we're going to address this question. He is risen. Now what? I, I have believed. Now what? Has God mapped out for the believer what he expects of us? Perhaps, like myself, some of you this morning from time to time go through seasons where you just feel aimless in your walk with God. 
where you feel like perhaps you're drifting, you're not sure what God would have for you to do. Uh, this morning, I will not be answering all of the specific questions in your own individual life, but my goal is to at least point you in the right direction on God's map for our lives as believers to get you in the right direction. So we're in John chapter 20. We will be in verses 19 through 23. And today we will talk on uh, the broad brushstrokes of the Lord's commission of his disciples. Or, or the now what? And uh, we're going to then look at how we can live that out in our lives here in Tyler, Texas. Okay, so the now what? And then how we can do that here in Tyler. So for our first point, the Lord's commission, uh, just the big picture, the big now what? Uh, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the believer represents the Lord Jesus in this world that can at times be hostile, calling people to a right relationship with the Father through the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. It, simply, we draw people to the Father through the Son, faith in Him, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So look with me in John 20, 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is the resurrection day, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay, so we're going to look at the Lord's commissioning here in Two parts. The first is uh, the peace of God. We're going to spend a little bit of time understanding this peace that Jesus is giving his disciples here. It's mentioned twice in our short passage in verse uh, 19 and in verse 21. So what is this peace? Well, it's what's called the peace of God, and it's made available to believers who are now at peace with God. So to experience the peace of God, you must first be at peace with God. And Jesus gives us hints of that here, where after he gives them the salutation of peace in 19, there in verse 20, he shows them his hands and his side. It's through our Lord's substitutionary atonement, through his death on our behalf for our guilt as sinners, that we as believers now have peace with God. And then he gives us this peace again in 21, peace be with you. 
And then he links it with the giving of the Spirit in 22, where he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. We as believers experience the peace of God through the indwelling Holy Spirit, which we often experience in a hostile setting. As we see here, the, the, Jews, uh, the Jews were hostile towards the early church there in verse 19. So what does this tell us about our God who has sent us on a mission? He's given us a task. What does this tell us about him in that he gives us his peace in a hostile world? It tells us he, he cares for us. Our God is not merely a taskmaster saying, I've done this for you, now you go and do this for me and just tough it out. It's going to be a hostile world. It was rough on my son. It's going to be rough for you too. No, he, he's, not, he's not a taskmaster. He cares for each of us. He loves us. He gives us his peace through the indwelling spirit as we represent him son, his son in a world that is oftentimes hostile. So this is, this is the character of our great God. And then a, a quick aside, what's going on here in verse 22 where the Lord breathes on them and says, receive the Spirit. This is a symbolic act for what the disciples will experience in Acts 2 during Pentecost. And Jesus is making clear by breathing on them after giving them peace that the peace of God is directly linked with the indwelling spirit. There is no other source for the believer to experience peace apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit. And Jesus prior in chapter 14 when teaching on the spirit also linked peace with the giving of the spirit where he said, peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And it's in the context of him teaching on the spirit of God. So John is writing here uh, during the Roman Empire, and I don't think he's intending to be polemical, but there is a little bit of a polemic going on here with this discussion of peace. During the time of the Roman Empire, one of their primary uh, foreign policies, if you will, is what's called Pax Roma. And it was basically the peace that Rome forced upon their empire through brutality, through power. And this peace was purely external. And it was actually not true peace because it was merely the absence of conflict. But here we're seeing the peace of God is internal. It's not dependent upon our circumstances. And its source is vastly different. The source of Pax Roma is a finite, fickle government. But the source of the peace of God is the Spirit of God. The third person of the Trinity. God the Holy Spirit. So the Lord sending out his disciples in a hostile world with the peace of God is what Paul would later uh, describe as an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And he would explain to us that we experience this fruit and we demonstrate this fruit to others 
as we walk in step with the Spirit. As we walk in step with the Spirit according to God's map. The, the New Testament, the Bible. And here in our passage, representing the Lord. So, I want you to, to hear me though. I'm, I'm not presenting a, a mere formula, one plus one equals two. Walking in the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit, experiencing the peace of God through faithful obedience does not magically turn you into some kind of chilled out guru uh, that's totally unfazed by whatever. Uh, if you've read the New Testament, you know Paul was oftentimes pressed on all sides. Uh, I'm merely demonstrating for you that the peace of God is sufficient for what the Lord has called us to do. And more than that, it's greater than any hostility that we as believers oftentimes allow to control us, to, to capture us in the fear of that versus walking in step with the Spirit, versus choosing to represent the Lord in a hostile setting. Um, and also, I think it's very important that we realize we cannot find this peace that we crave because we all crave peace, contentment. We cannot find this peace in creation. We cannot find this peace for ourselves apart from God. This is something that we receive as a gift from God. As you get to know me, perhaps one thing you'll learn is I love homemade chocolate chip cookies. Uh, it was probably the first thing my wife really set out to master uh, when we first got married. I, I don't cook, as I've told you on numerous occasions. Uh, my wife, Nancy, she she had to learn how to cook once we got married, and she's an excellent cook I'm very grateful for. But one thing she'll tell you is um, I've had to learn my lesson uh, about eating her homemade chocolate chip cookies. And uh, the lesson is basically more is not always more. Uh, for me, more sometimes leads to a stomach ache and uh, just disappointment and dissatisfaction. <laughs> And she'll always look at me and shake her head and think, when are you going to learn your lesson? I don't know. I still eat her chocolate chip cookies. I love them. So more is, is not always more. And this is true with chocolate chip cookies. And this is also true with the peace of God. If we ever are seeking to obtain that peace through more, I need more time. I need more help. I need longer seasons of, of health. I need more money. I mean, we all have our little gaps. Just fill it in. I need more. And then, then I will have the peace, the peace that I crave. That, that's not how God's peace works. That's how we often pursue peace. But it will always lead to a dissatisfaction. Because peace is found in the creator, not in the creation. So this brings us to our second 
aspect of the commission that we're looking at here. We've, we've just looked at the peace of God. It's rooted in being at peace with God. It's the indwelling of the Spirit. It's something we experience as a gift through walking in step with the Spirit of God. So we're going to look at the second aspect of the Lord's commissioning here, and it's our sending by Jesus. It's our sending by Jesus. In verse 21, Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Wow, that should cause all of us just to pause <laughs> there for a second. What a commission. As the Father has sent the Lord, so the Lord has sent us. So what does it mean to be sent by Jesus? What, where are we sent to and what are we sent to do? Well, um, this, this sending here, it, it's, it was familiar in uh, our first audience's uh, day and age. The one sent represented the one sending him or her. So the one sent represented the one sending. And the one sent was charged with accomplishing the goals of the one who sent him or her. So the Lord has sent the church to represent him and to accomplish his goals. It means he's the map maker and we are the map followers. So my daughter, um, she's, she's growing in her desire to express herself and she's very artistic. So one of the ways in which she does this is uh, through her style of clothing. She's in kindergarten, so it's, it's, at this point it's harmless. And, and I'm very thankful for that. And I, I know it's not always going to be that case. But, but right now in the morning, my responsibility is to get her dressed. And so the typical conversation is, Daddy, I want to wear this. And I'll either say, no, you can't dress up as Princess Tiana today. It's, it's not Halloween. I just throw a little hissy fit, and then she'll say, Daddy, I want to wear this. Sure, you can wear stripes and polka dots. I don't care. That, that's fine. You can, you can wear that. But I send her out in appropriate clothing. I send her out as, as a representative of our family uh, and to ensure that she's uh, not violating the, the school code. It's, it's a lot of fun. She's precious, and she's only getting... Uh, simultaneously more precious and more of a handful. And I don't know if those two always go hand in hand, but right now they do. So, As believers, the Lord has sent us out clothed in His righteousness. We are sent into a world of unrighteousness clothed in His righteousness. And it's, again, by way of the indwelling spirit. It's not my righteousness. It's the righteous God, the Holy Spirit living in me that allows us to demonstrate to others, our coworkers, our friends, our family, the righteous character of God through our upright uh, deeds and uh, good works, our character. We demonstrate who God is. Uh, and so, no matter the circumstance, there's, there's no debate about it. No matter the circumstance we find ourselves in as 
Christ's sent ones, we are always to be clothed in His righteousness, no matter whether it's attractive or appalling in that particular circumstance. That's what we are to be clothed in. And we demonstrate it through our upright character for the Lord. But as verse 23 will show us, we are sent with more than just a demonstration of who the Lord is. It's, it's more than just showing others who His character is. That's a part of it. That's a key part. Because for those that the Spirit is working on, that draws them in to want to know this Lord. But in verse 23, that we see that we are sent with a message. And the message is the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins is available through faith in Jesus Christ to all who trust in Him alone. So, the mission of the church is directly tied to the mission of God. We don't have a different mission. God's mission is very clear in the Gospel of John. He sent His Son to die for the sins of the world so that He can create a, a family, a kingdom. And He calls people into that family, into that kingdom through uh, believing upon or believing in His Son. And He uses us in doing that. We have a role in proclaiming this message. And so we are now sent with this message. Now, I want to read verse 23 again because it, it's often uh, misconstrued, misunderstood. Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let me tell you what this does not mean. This does not mean that a minister in the church or a high official or someone directly in line supposedly with the apostles has the authority to either forgive your sins or withhold your sins or with, keep you in the guilt of your sins. As children of God, we have direct access to the Father through the Son by the Spirit to confess our sins to him, and we are forgiven. So this is not a, a power play given to the church that is abused, quite frankly. What this is, is the church, us, the body of Christ, has been invested with the power to proclaim the message of forgiveness. And it is a powerful message. We have been entrusted with the power to proclaim the message of forgiveness. And with that, those who reject the Savior, we can tell them with confidence that they have spurned the mercy of God. That it's only through the acceptance of the Son that the Father accepts you. And so this message has been entrusted to the church. So this is our, our big picture, if you will, uh, in terms of now what? It's, it's our mission, and it's something that we each have been called to. There, there's no tryouts for this. Anybody ever try out for sports? <laughs> 
I did not make the high school basketball team. <laughs> I was very disappointed, but, you know, I was two feet shorter than anybody else and couldn't shoot a free throw. So, you know, what's the coach going to do? I, I think oftentimes as believers, we think, oh, that's for the super Christian. That's not for me. There's no such thing as the super Christian. There's only the super savior. We, we are all on an equal playing field before the cross. And we've all equally been sent out into this hostile world. And we've all been equally gifted with the same spirit and the same message. And he uses us. It's not about having the gift of evangelism or the gift of preaching. It's about having the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we have that. And so don't let the hostility of the world control you into thinking, that's not for me. Don't let your inadequacies control you thinking, I'm going to leave that to the pastor or the, the missions pastor. No, we are sent together as a body in the Spirit. This is not a sports club you have to try out for. This is a family. We do this together. We do this with our Heavenly Father. And so be confident of that. So what I want to talk about now is how do we live out the Lord's commission here in Tyler, Texas. Okay, because as you know, I, I went to Ethiopia. The Lord doesn't call everybody to Ethiopia. Praise God for that. The Lord has called you right where you are to represent Jesus in your work, in your neighborhood, in your family with your spouse, with your friends, with your children, with your grandchildren. You're never not representing the Lord. Ever. We always are to represent Him. And so how do we as believers here in Tyler, Texas, how do we, how do we represent Him? Well, based on our passage, the way in which I want to impress upon you to represent the Lord is be peacemakers. Be peacemakers. Have a posture as a peacemaker. Position yourself in any circumstance to make peace. And so with unbelievers, obviously we want them to be at peace with God. Now if you remember... The Lord in our commission here is talking about both the peace with God, which was secured through his death on our behalf, and then the peace of God, which is given to believers who are then at peace with God. With unbelievers, they are not at peace with God. They are hostile with him. And so we want them to know their heavenly father in a reconciled manner. And so that requires they believe upon the Son for the forgiveness of their sins. How do we go about doing that? There's, there's lots of ways to, to share the gospel, to, to be evangelistic, but the way I want to share with you this morning is, is quite simple. Go home. 
if you don't know where to start, pray. Uh, maybe pray anyways. Ask the Lord to give you a list of unbelievers. Whether it's people you know personally, people that you know of. And write them down. And start praying for them. Just ask God to open their hearts, to draw them to His Son. And present yourself to God as an instrument for Him to use in being a peacemaker. And He will. And He'll support you every step of the way. He doesn't lead you into those types of situations just for you to fall on your face. Remember, He cares for us. He's not a taskmaster trying to show you how far short you fall in everything. He loves us. He cares for us. So pray for those that are not at peace with God. Or um, what about with believers? Because in the other Gospels, we learn that this commission is, is much uh, grander than simply calling people to faith in Christ. That is crucial. But once you become a believer, you are still... Um, charged with growing, uh, becoming a disciple who, who obeys the word of the Lord. So with, with believers, uh, we, we get beat down, do we not? This world is not easy. The pressures of life, the disappointments, the fears, we get beat down as believers. So with believers, be a peacemaker with them too but by building them up in the Lord. Build them up in the Lord through encouragement. When you're, when you're with other believers, ask them, you know, what's God doing in your life these days? How can I support you? How can I pray for you? Build them up. Be a person who promotes peace of God in their life. Point their eyes to the Lord. Be a good listener. These are ways in which we can be peacemakers with one another. Let me show you how this works in my life. I, I certainly can get beat up in the world. I would say for me, I can be overwhelmed from time to time with, with life. Whether it's family life, work life, it doesn't matter. I can be overwhelmed. Uh, and let me tell you, my wife knows when I'm overwhelmed. It's quite clear I, I'm not as patient. I'm not as interested in whatever it is she wants to share with me at that moment in time. In those, in those moments when I'm overwhelmed, let me, let me share with you what my wife does. She takes on the posture of a peacemaker. And here's what she does. She says, Chad, I don't know what that thing is that has caused you to feel overwhelmed. But I do want you to know that the grace of God is sufficient. The grace of God is sufficient. And when she shares that with me, I know she's saying, I don't, I don't have to bear this load. It's not mine. I need to cast it to the Lord. And quite honestly, you know, I don't always take it well in the moment, you know, we husbands. <laughs> we, we, we don't always like that um, gentle correction, but man, do we need it. 
The grace of God is sufficient. And when I'm either calmed down and able to reflect upon the words that she has said, I realize that in her posture of being a peacemaker, I'm experiencing the peace of God. That that thing that had me captivated and captured and controlled lost its power. And the almighty spirit of God who indwells me, who is the peace of God that we crave, he takes over. And it's a beautiful thing. So let's be peacemakers. So in conclusion, the Lord is risen. Now what? Let's be peacemakers. Peacemakers with unbelievers, peacemakers with believers. Let's represent the Lord as makers of his peace. It's beautiful. Our great God, he is beautiful. Let's keep our eyes on him. Would you pray with me? Father, it's through your son and by your spirit that we come to you in prayer this morning. We praise you that we are at peace with you because your son bore your wrath for our rebellion, for our sin, for our guilt. Thank you that through him we can now be yours, your children. We don't have to wander aimlessly through this life. We don't have to be people controlled by our fears or our wants or our needs. But we can be people who rest in you through the indwelling spirit who comforts us, who gives us your peace. And thank you that this mission you've called us to is with you. It's with your son. It's with your spirit. It's a co-mission. Thank you that you not only give us all that we need, but you give us so much more. I thank you that this is a, a mission that we do as a family. I pray your blessing on Bethel. And we present ourselves to you, Lord. Use us. May we be an instrument in your hand here in our community. Pray that you would draw people to your son through us and that we would be people who build each other up. I pray that our eyes would be on the beauty of who you are and that we would reflect that beauty in all that we do. We love you, Father. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.